0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to episode 34 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are doing well. This episode will be a continuation of the interview with Nicholas and Terence, the co-host of Crafting Musical Lives, where they interview music biographers. On the previous episode, we spoke about how their daily lives has been affected due to the restrictions in the UK and how that has in turn affected the arts. Their own musical journey as well as some insights to embarking on the path of music academia. On this episode, Nicholas and Terence speaks about the conservatory education, detaching away from their work, how they conceived, crafting musical lives, interacting with experts in the subject matter, and finally, can music be deemed as a universal language? Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What?, with Nicholas and Terrence. Yeah, and do you find that uh, initially when you went over there uh, from Singapore uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, in, in Singapore, how how we are like, we are a, a little bit reserved, um, not all of us, uh, but in general, maybe we, because of our school system, we are, we are quite reserved, we don't voice out, we don't ask questions. Uh, very often Mm -hmm. and when you go into this sort of seminar environments where you have to contribute quite actively in the conversation initially was Mm -hmm. it difficult for you to get into the swing of things
1: um not really actually i don't because um so obviously when i started in first year a lot of things were quite simple and um uh i was well equipped with with the little music history things that we did in Nafa. Mm. So it wasn't too hard for me to get into the conversation because I, I would say no, quite a bit already. Mm. Um, so I think, and then it just builds on that, you know, but, um, I, I do have this sort of tendency to, um, filter my questions and make sure it might make, filter in my mind to make sure that it's really worth asking, uh, before before asking because some people I, I think there is this environment here to encourage um any sort of question whether or not it's really um uh substantial, mm-hmm. whether or not it actually it it addresses the core issue of, of what's being being said. Mm. Um so I, I do have this filter of like, okay, only ask questions if it's if it's um if it's uh really worth it. And sometimes it can get quite intense. Um but you know some, but then I see people ask like some really lame questions and like okay, actually maybe it's not too bad. You know I can just right right um, if I'm curious, just just yeah, just ask. Mm.
2: Um, yeah, I think in yeah. Singapore, I mean as Singaporeans, we, I, I I don't like to put this in a negative way, but I think it's the only way where we 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 it feels as if we are very afraid of being judged or we're afraid of asking what might seem like wrong or silly questions to others so mm-hmm. we would rather just yes. keep quiet and not ask and not know rather than ask yeah. and you know actually get the mm-hmm. answers yeah. or get guided towards the answers we want to know about mm-hmm. so i think that barrier isn't here uh, in the uk and mm-hmm. at least Um, from my personal experience as well. I mean, when Mm. I attend the masters, composers, seminars, especially, I mean, when they were um, in person, um, Mm. there would be quite fierce debates going about sometimes where two or even three people would have their point of view and it could be directly opposing and they would defend it very strongly um, Mm. with no hard feelings at all. I mean, that was quite amazing to experience and it's not something you mm, have experienced yeah. in, in far yeah. or in Second
1: I mean, there are, there are people who, um, also, uh, it's sort of, they argue for the sake of arguing, um, which it's a, it's a thing, um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. Mm. Um, but you know, so obviously you don't want an idea to just get, like go off scot-free without any, um, uh, I guess more thought um, is better than no thought, um, mm-hmm. or rather, more challenge is better than no challenge. Um, it, it sort of uh, strengthens, I guess, your idea if, if, if it has gone through these filters, which come in the form of challenge and questions. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah, I think uh, sometimes as well, um, I don't know whether it's just uh, the culture here, but uh, people tend to take any sort of disagreement uh, against them personally when they don't take it against it as with the issue yeah Yeah. and i I agree with this like uh, it's really important to point out this you defend it fiercely with no hard feelings Mm. that after this whole thing you can go to the bar you can have a pint and we all have a good evening right it's not like it's not like i'm not going to talk to you because you said this about my idea in a particular class therefore you know obviously you don't like me or, or You know, it's not, mm-hmm. it's got yeah. nothing to do with that. And it's like absolutely not personal at all.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Um, I, I completely agree that it's not quite the same here. And uh, I think it's also about this appreciating the diversity of uh, thinking and the kind of people that we have um, that, that allows people to be more, um, they can sort of distinguish between this is a subjective issue and this is a personal issue. Mm.
0: Right, yeah. So, okay, uh, Terence. then, uh, in terms of the conservatory education, you've obviously been through it for a good number of years and then uh, ultimately, after working for a period of time, you still decided to go back into this conservatory system. So, um, what is the, the sort of thought process behind it? How do you feel about the rigor of being in a conservatory?
2: Well, the, the thing is that I, I did decide early on um subconsciously and consciously that going to university was not for me because uh, as much as i enjoy reading the articles and the books that are a result of academic research and rigor i mean i i didn't i I couldn't imagine myself having um i mean living that kind of life i mean it's not for me just as performance is not For Nicholas, I mean, we all, it's not a matter of right or wrong paths. It's just a matter of our personal preferences for our lifestyle. So for me, um, I saw saw knowledge as a way to improve my skills. And that skill, of course, in this case is composition. So, I mean, I, I did feel like in a few years after I finished my bachelor's, I hit some roadblocks when I tried to compose when I tried to write music like it wasn't really going anywhere or it didn't quite say what I wanted to say through the music and I, I really just thought that I needed more guidance um, in honing those skills and improving them in um, furthering them really so um, I mean being a full-time student at the RCM now, as opposed to just being an exchange student as part of the bachelor's course about seven years ago, I truly come to see um, how um, it's different from a university. Not that there aren't academic um, stuff. I mean, there, there is plenty of that. I mean, uh, for example, in my course, I still have to write some essays I still have to finish a thesis, which, well, honestly, I haven't quite started on.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, that, and, and does Nicholas approve of such behavior? <laughs> uh, I mean, I haven't started. I haven't started on my own thesis. So <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, but um, the the focus is really much more on um the development of these very practical skills. I mean, if I'm a performance major, I would have to practice a lot. I'll have to explore many many different kinds of repertoire and as a composer it's actually quite the same I mean not that I mm. write crazy amounts of music the the requirement for my portfolio submission at the end of this academic year does not really look like a lot of music I mean it says about th- about 25 minutes of music which honestly isn't a lot but the thing is the music has to work in short, the quality has to be has to come first, mm. despite what looks like a short duration. So, the thing is that we are, are by attending certain seminars, um, we are encouraged to explore many many different kinds of music across the ages. Mm. We are encouraged to listen a lot, read a lot, and I mean how that differs from research. Obviously, that it doesn't result in writing. A lot of words for essays or th- thesis, but uh, mm. it has to translate into the practical work that we do. The quality mm-hmm. of the composition, yeah. the quality of our performance, and I guess that's really where the the, the it differs mm. between the conservatory training and the university rigor, where the focus is very different, even if so cert- many things are similar.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to, I just going to add that when I was at NAFA as well, I felt like all of the history modules and the theory modules were sort of there to improve the performance. Um, so hmm. they were still subsidiary. They were not like, you know, they were not on the same level. Um. Yeah. So I guess that's what you get with a conservatory teaching. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's also the weightage of at the end of the day, your performance. Uh, If you do very well in your portfolio or your recital, chances are the overall grade will be pretty decent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Who cares if you can't speak English or whatever? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Right. Uh, uh, Just a question for the both of you. Right. Do you think that, let's say, if we decided to take on a more academic uh, education or learning? if you go to a university, do you feel that in a university, it is easier to disconnect with the work as compared to when you're in a conservatory?
1: The work as in the, the practical
0: act of making music? Uh, meaning, say for example, uh, if you have to say, do research or write a thesis. And oh, okay, okay, okay. Parts. The work and their respective. Yeah. So okay. is it easier, say for example, for you to disconnect and live the, like okay I'm going home and I've decided that if I'm going to work in the library after library when I go home I'm not going to do anything but I, I don't know because I've not lived this more kind of academic life before but as a performer sometimes even after you finish a practice session uh, particularly if it doesn't go very well it my mind goes into this overdrive right On, on mm-hmm. when you're walking home you're thinking like what is going on why do I feel like I'm stuck Why do I feel like there's no progress? And then it affects this entire mood uh, for the rest of your day or evening or whatever. So uh, how how is that for you? You know, that kind of relationship between the work you have to do uh, and your sort of break and downtime?
2: Well, maybe I can say something about that first. Um, So even though I'm not studying in the university, the thing is, I still have to do I with the few essays and the thesis that I still have to write. I mean, that that isn't. I mean, I, I do have to do quite a bit of reading and to be able to be able to understand what I read and apply it to the uh, especially if I'm doing, for example, an analytical essay. So, for example, last year I did one essay about um, a piece by. Ligeti, the Hungarian composer Ligeti, and the thing is that mm. it it doesn't stop when you put down that book or you stop uh, or you close Microsoft Word and uh, do other stuff or you turn in for the night. I mean, for me, the thoughts and the thought process still goes on long after that, and sometimes it well it keeps me from sleeping because your my brain keeps trying to make that, all those connections between the work and the various things that have been said about it and all the all the um, things within the work. I mean, when I say work, I mean the composition, all the things within mm. the composition that I'm trying to make sense of. And this arguably takes a lot of time for one to really get deep into the music, into the piece of music. And um, yeah, I, w- I would say that um, despite not having to churn out essay after essay it's still yeah it's not something that you can just put down after you or at least for me put down after i read it or Mm -hmm. think about it i I just can't stop thinking about it basically Mm -hmm. and this applies Mm -hmm. especially so when i'm applying it to my own composition uh and then sometimes I i forget stuff i mean forget very practical stuff. Like I forget to take my food out of the freezer, the tall before cooking. Right. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, I think there was once or twice I forgot to take my my keys, that kind right. of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it kind of, it's, it's always at the back of your mind. It co- occupies you all the time. And uh, of course, as a composer, mm-hmm. it also means um, stuff like, you know, is this work good enough? Is this, is is my writing good enough? Is my music good enough? All all those self doubt, especially, would, would come in mm. play as well. Yeah.
1: For me, uh, I think this is a very good question. Um, I think there are people who can do it. Um, I, this is very. I think this is very subjective. There are people who can, and there are people who uh, can't or choose not to. Um, but I think that the people who can have have to put in uh, an active effort to do it mm. um, because it's not um, I, I mean I I think Terence has summarized that um, basically what what it's like you know to to have done all these uh, reading and to have all these ideas circulate in your mind um, and then when you put it down uh, it's like the things that happen around you do, uh, do bring up these ideas again as well um, especially when it's to do with music because you 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 uh, I mean, obviously we, we, we have, we have tunes stuck in our minds sometimes. And then, uh, if you, if you spend an entire day thinking about how these tunes and some ideas relate, um, when you have, when you still have the tune stuck in your mind, once you've closed the book or once you've closed the laptop, the ideas will still kind of like creep in like, Hi, I'm here <laughs> kind of, kind yeah. of um, manner. Right, right. Um, yeah, like I was just thinking about, uh, so like recently, um, I've been thinking about, like, aesthetics of music. Basically, it's just, like, um, whether or not music can just be deemed to be beautiful without any sort of emotion. Like, it doesn't encode any emotion. Um, and I personally don't think so because uh, because I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason why music, like, sort of attracts us. Like, we feel something in it mm. or we feel something from it. Mm. Um, so I don't think that there's something inherently beautiful. But then... Uh, there are tunes sometimes in my household, it's the Russian national anthem. Don't ask why. But the <laughs> Russian national anthem. We are not we're not related to the national anthem in any way. We don't know what the words really mean. But then we're all very much uh like a, like a, attached to the tune. Like we very much uh, like like the tune mm. and, and 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 somehow like it sticks with us so maybe there's something there that's sort of natural that's inherent that doesn't that doesn't have uh an association with us but we act we uh, can recognize that i um, not saying it's beautiful mm. but there's something um so yeah um these these are sort of things that that you know once you close a book but then the, if something else appears mm. if you know your housemates um Hums a tune, and you just like just sort of think, oh, that's the Russian national anthem. Good tune. Right. Why is it a good tune? Mm. Um, I don't know what it means, but why? Yeah, so it's very it's it's quite hard to detach. And I mean, I'm just talking about music and aesthetics, but obviously, music you can think of it with other 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 in other contexts like it was a lot of social cultural uh, political and then if all these things pop up in you know when you watch tv or when you watch the v- videos online then you will start to bring back the music as well mm, right, right. Um, so it's very, it's quite difficult um if i think for people who who can separate it they will have to put in uh effort to actually do it rather than just um you know, like closing the book mm. or yeah, it's an, it's an active. Yeah, mental I'm not very sure right.
2: Detaching yourself from it is a, necessarily a good thing, really. Mm.
1: Well, it depends. I think it depends on, on, on how you handle it because sometimes it can be a bit, uh, crushing. I mean, like the amount of, you know, if you think too much about it, it can be a bit, uh, it can affect you, uh, negatively. So yeah, mm. I think it depends.
0: Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So because I, I guess, you know, we, we have this tendency uh, f- for me to come from this, just one side of the coin to see like this other side mm. of the coin seems to be that uh, something that is more ideal, that is easier, that has more sort of balance that doesn't eat up your mind. And yeah, I mean, I've learned mm, that no. to be absolutely <laughs> untrue, right? Yeah, I, I guess mm, no, our, our, yeah. our minds are sort of engaged in a different way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's very
2: interesting. I, I guess, regardless of yeah. whatever discipline we choose to engage ourselves in, I mean, be it music or finance or mathematics, like, I guess if you're really keen about it and you um, invest in your whole life in it, I guess it will occupy you regardless.
0: Mm. Yeah, you kind of like breathe it and live it, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cool. Right. So now we've all spent different amounts of time in the UK and differently. Mm -hmm. So for example, Nicholas, three years consecutively uh, living in the UK, not returning to Singapore. Uh, Me, four years in the UK, but every summer I'm back here. Of course, uh, Terrence disrupted by this whole sort of uh, COVID thing, but has like two separate stints in London for different amount of time, right? Uh, each time when you uh, return and or when you first went there, what are the challenges that you face adjusting to life in the UK? Uh, maybe Nicholas? Or, or have you forgotten because you're basically a honorary <laughs> Brit now? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm absolutely not. Right. Um,
1: I mean, I, I think I had it a bit easier because my... Uh, so when I was at... Before I started at Nottingham, um, the nottingham singapore society um did like a few of us who who were going to start there to get to know each other in singapore mm. before going so when i went when i first came to the uk I, and when i first went to nottingham i already had a group of friends who, who i knew i could um you know meet up with and 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 sort of get through this settling in the uk together mm. um so it was, it was a bit easier, I I think, than uh, if I were to not know anybody and just have to get to grips with everything on my own. Um, I think as much as we think about like, like not there not being a language barrier, I think there actually is Mm. to a certain extent because, uh, um, we do call things differently. Um, like certain things. I mean, the the one that, that I'm still getting used to is is pants. Like um like here you have to say trousers right. because pants means your underwear. Right, right. So if you if you say, if you say to someone you like their pants is a bit uh, weird. Um, How do you know? Um, they'll, right? they'll quite, they'll be, yeah they'll be quite alarmed. <laughs> like, do you have X-ray vision? Yeah. And um yeah. and if you if you do why are you looking at my pants? <laughs> yeah. Right. So it, so th- we we do have uh, a bit of a uh, slang barrier, I guess, or, or yeah. Mm. And, and things like chips and crisps, yeah. which is a horrible
0: word <laughs> Oh, to say. absolutely. Um, right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so,
1: so th- there are some things that I have to get used to, um, we have to get used to, um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's one thing. And I think the whole, uh, the whole sort of way that society works is something that I, I, um, at first it was quite um like startling like i didn't i didn't realize that you know it's uh, it's so it's such a big thing i guess um i i mean i I didn't expect this to be a thing at all like like how the society works like how people um talk about other people and how people talk about their place in society Mm -hmm. um i think it, it it it's probably um it's it's very apparent to me because i hang out with uh brits because of my course and um, there's a lot of at least at undergrad there's a lot of um brits in my course so i mainly hang out with them and they talk th- they talk about like you know um like the class system here mm. um like you know and that's quite foreign to 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 us i think in in singapore i mean obviously we do have our own sort of issues with with that but it's very it's very uh it's here they talk about it as if it's it's not something uh like um it's not doesn't feel like it's as big of an issue but i feel like it is but it it, somehow it doesn't they they do talk about it as if it's not an issue or maybe it is an issue but they've sort of uh accepted that you know it's it's not something that can be resolved quickly so why why look at the bad side of it Mm. um so that's something i i had to get used to um which which I find a bit disturbing. uh, But, you know, um, life goes on. Um, (laughs) And also, like, politics as well. Um, Like, people are quite... I don't know, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe people have reached an age where Mm. they like to talk about politics. But personally, um, it doesn't... I'm not that interested in it. And also, I don't know how much of it we can get into in Singapore. It's pretty much, like... I don't think there's this experience of uh well at least from my experience I don't think there's much to get into mm. with regard to politics in Singapore. But here it's quite a big thing. Yeah. And people of the younger generation are very much into it mm. as well. For sure. Um which I yeah, which I find um a bit like, you know, I have a disconnect with that. Like I don't I don't get why, you know, why does this matter like so much to you? I mean I, I mean I get it that because it their their politics here is a bit more um like erratic I guess but mm. um so but it's it's just 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 to think about it is not something that came quite naturally
0: yeah and they, they have yeah. very strong feelings uh with their allegiance of uh with regards to politics yeah especially like uh, yeah. living in the north for for a good number of years that's like yeah mm. they, they support the labor and there's just no mm. no two words about it you know it's just it mm. that if you're from the north this is the tribe right and then yeah if you're from say, like London or the South, then you are, you know, probably uh, influenced differently in that sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah? I don't know if you get that yeah. or not, uh, but uh, most of the, the people that I help with, yeah, you, I see these very clear uh, differences, mm. yeah.
1: I mean, I... It's it's strange because they they do talk about uh, like some of the things that some of the parties do, mm-hmm. but I do don't really think they uh at least from my experience they don't actually explicitly say which uh which party they are for mm. um i think i think that's maybe quite a british thing you know like yeah. like i can i can i can talk around it but like at the core mm. I still wanna keep it to myself. Yeah, yeah. I still wanna keep whatever that's that's in my, in my, in my heart oh, yeah. to myself. Yeah, that, um so they won't they won't talk about you know who who they vote mm-hmm. for whatsoever, but they can talk about um the you know the issues or like or like the policies that some of the parties have raised, yeah. that kind of thing. So yeah,
0: but yeah. this is a, a actually very good way to put across in general how the the mm-hmm. the people are like in the UK, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Terrence, how about yourself? Uh with regards to Uh, adjusting to life in the uk
2: well the i i remember that the one thing that confounded me a lot at the beginning was getting used to being being asked the question how are you (laughs) right yeah because
1: isn't it you're right (laughs) (laughs) they're always like you're right
0: (laughs) all right mate yeah yeah
2: Yeah. i don't know i get i get I mean, yeah. I guess being in London and, and studying in the in the RCM where there are many, many international students as opposed to just British ones, means yeah. that, that that question is asked in many different ways. So, for example, I have people who regularly ask me, what's up? Some people who are, who yeah. say, you all right? Some people who ask, um, how are you? But essentially, it's all... I mean, it's, it's still the same question that... One doesn't quite get asked in Singapore, you know. Mm. I live most of my life in Singapore, so yeah, that really confounded Mm. me. I mean, like, I was like, "What am I supposed to say? Am I just supposed to say I'm alright, even if I'm not alright?" You know, Mm. (laughs) am I supposed to tell my life story (laughs) if you ask me? And then yeah. Also, yeah. the next thing was well, I mean, I had to also get used to asking that question back <laughs> to the person yeah. or else appear rude. So well, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it seems quite simple, but for me, for me it's really a major cultural difference because well in Singapore you just say, hey, you know, hi, and then mm-hmm. just stop there or or maybe the next question will be, you know, what are you want to eat. <laughs>
0: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and then you spend the next thirty minutes deciding where to go. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, mm. I, I told my composition professor um, that when I when I teach about music, I tend to compare. I mean, use anecdotes that compare it to food, and then he, he mm. laughed quite a bit and said, "Of course, you're Singaporean. I mean, yeah. he's no stranger to Singapore. He comes to the country like once a year, yeah mm. So."
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean
1: I did I did have that I did uh when I went back to Singapore this year, I did also speak to some of my friends about this how are you or your right thing. Mm-hmm. Um I remember saying that uh like even though I saw some of my friends every day um back in Nottingham, um I mean now as well in Oxford, mm-hmm. um we we will ask each other like how are you even though we just saw each other like the day before yeah. um, and then we go on about you know what, what they did what we did last night and mm. and certain things that that we thought about that have been that we've been thinking about throughout you know a certain period of time so um, and yeah that's not something that we do a lot in Singapore you know once we saw a friend and um, they've gone home we've gone home and that's mm. it like you know we don't we don't really ask them again how 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 they are even if we even in a work environment we don't go into work and ask them also oh, what you did last night whatsoever it's not it's not
0: really <laughs> yeah it's not really yeah, that sort of yeah it's none of our business yeah. basically right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. Friend of mine who yeah. studied a number of years in america i mean he's chinese he comes from china but he spent quite a number of years in america so whenever he bumps into me he'll ask me yo what's up and then i would <laughs> great I mean it would, it would great on him but I would say sky or ceiling and here his like, eyes as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. well my, my very lame humour um, mm. but yeah <laughs> I mean uh, other than that um, there's not there's not really much of a challenge I would say in, in living here as compo- compared to Singapore because partly because of the similarities yeah. of both where we are I mean, both are mm. cosmopolitan. Where it's really, yeah. mm. I mean, I, I I'm sure it's different um, where Nicholas is and uh, where you were, Vincent. But yeah, London. Mm. There's really all kinds of people when you walk on the street. And so many different kinds of languages are being spoken. It's just, I mean, it's just baffling how how many different kinds of cultures mm. and uh, languages it's melting pot even yeah. in college itself so uh, yeah. I guess I would describe it more as of interesting rather than challenging all these little cultural exchanges that one experiences so many places here I guess that's what's really interesting for me yeah
1: I think in the UK at least uh, people are not oblivious they do they do know like where kind of where Singapore is um, even if they don't know um, they're quite uh, they're inquisitive enough to ask and to learn about it. Mm. Um, they won't make like souping generalizations about, you know, Southeast Asia or even Asia. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I guess it helps that we speak the way we do. And they were like, oh, okay, like you do speak English, mm. um, good English. Um. So so they're like, okay, maybe this, Um, like they, they, they're intrigued and want to know more. But I think that's the general... Um impression I have of Brits, they they're generally quite um uh, willing to learn about you know where you come from and and they're not uh oblivious, so that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. sometimes it, it catches them off guard because we speak, I've said, rather uh, fluently, uh, mm. uh, quite fluent English, even compared to some of the other uh, Europeans from the other countries that doesn't have English as their first language, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, it's I, I guess it's not something... It, 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 it's probably the same thing when we see uh, a Caucasian person in Singapore and the moment they open their mouth, it's just like really fluent Mandarin. We're like, we'll you know, be kind of intrigued, right? We get uh, yeah. Yeah, start to speak to them a little bit more and find out about like where they're from and things like that. Yeah, I guess that mm. there's a, a certain kind of uh, similarity and that sort of effect in that. Yeah, mm. uh, Back to Terrence, right? So for you... So far, what has been the pros and cons living and studying abroad?
2: Well, um, the the biggest con is well I don't get to be a family because well um, I'm the only child. As the only child, you know, I mean I, I I've been I'm very close to my parents. Really, really, really close. And um, being apart from them is a very strange thing to all three of us. My mom, my dad, myself. So mm. I, I wouldn't describe that as a, like a major challenge to overcome but it's it's just very different it's yeah. contrary to the, our entire lives that we have lived well there's the next con as well everything is quite expensive here I mean especially ah. eating out which uh, obviously I don't do right now and I can't yeah. even if I wanted to but
0: yeah Tesco meal deal that's the way to go <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah stuff is more expensive here I mean if one wants to think about it, you could think about food here as the same, pretty much the same, similar numerical amount. So if you could get the meal in Singapore, maybe a fast food meal for about $5, like for example, five to $6, you could get the same here for about five to six pounds. And well, you you multiply that by 1.8 and you get the real amount in Singapore dollars. So it, can be quite expensive if you eat out all the time, which is why I, I cook a lot. Yeah, I, I kind of mm. enjoy it. But I, although I'm uh, not, I definitely don't consider myself anything close to uh, being a chef or chef worthy or being a worthy of Uncle Roger's praise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's fun, yeah. right? Actually, you, you get to do things that you don't otherwise won't be doing. In Singapore, yeah, I mean, I hope yeah.
2: my mom would cook all the time, so I, I wouldn't mm. cook at all. I mean, but here I do all of it. So, well, the pros of it, I guess, well, first things first, the weather. I mean, I I know the, to the locals, to the Brits, they always say, oh, the weather is dreadful. It's wet. It's cold. But I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a matter of perspective. I love it, coming from mm. hot and humid Singapore. Yeah. Yeah, I really guess there's a matter mm-hmm. of perspective because I, I, I find that most of them will always be willing to run away to a, a warmer climate, whereas for us it's always the opposite. We are always willing to run away mm-hmm. to a colder climate. So, I mean that helps me yeah. in many ways because um, uh, apart from helping me to think a bit, think a bit clearer, <laughs> um, because I think if hot one gets me agitated more easily I mean when when I engage in exercise which I do so quite often now I don't mm-hmm. um, I don't get soaked in sweat which can be quite irritating mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. well so um that's the first pro I can think of the second thing is well studying here um I do get to meet an international community that I probably wouldn't have gotten to... Uh, if I had studied, say, maybe at uh, Yongsu too. I mean, not that they don't have an international community, but I believe it's not as diverse as the one here. So I have I friends know. from, now I have friends from literally all over the world. I have Polish, Polish friends, Italian friends, um, German friends, uh, friends that come all the way from Chile. You know, I, I previously I didn't even know very, very much about Chile at all, and now I have two of these friends from there. Mm-hmm. And um, learning about where they come from, what what they do, it's all all, all that kind of stuff. Even uh, learning about the language, slight the subtle language differences between the Spanish that the S- Spanish use and this um some of the I mean the hispan the Hispanic people in this in South America use. You know, I mean it's mm. all, all these little bits of stuff makes life here really very enriching on a day to day basis. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, that applied definitely applied more to the time where everything was in person. I mean, right now, with everything online, it's kind of drab, you know, because no one, mm-hmm. no one really engages in con- conversation outside of online classes. You know, you don't go, you don't really go to say, to someone you have just gotten to know. Uh, hey, shall we like hang over Zoom? <laughs> Yeah, but no, would, absolutely would, not right. Yeah, you would do that in groups, in person. I mean, mm, yeah. shall we grab punch yeah. together, kind of thing?
0: Yeah, just yeah. that's re- like you can catch somebody on the way out or something like that, right?
2: Yeah, so I guess that's regrettable. I mean, the the, the yeah. another pro I like to talk about. Well, the the world literally comes to London in terms of the art. So all kinds of qualities of performance and all kinds of uh, art forms are being put up. I mean, if you want something that's um, period, Baroque, you get it. If you want something that's contemporary, cutting-edge, you also can get that. And there's just so much to experience in terms of the arts and culture um, over here. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that in Singapore, the arts culture is actually getting more and more vibrant. And yeah. It's getting there, but um, I, mm. I guess the, London has been at it for a pretty long time now, as with the other mm. centres of Europe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and in generally, we're just really far away as well. You know, at, at the end of the day, we are engaged in a mm. uh, Western. Uh, artistic practice right where a lot of the origins and a lot of these groups come from the the western world (laughs) and so for them to go into London is a much more feasible option than for them to take an additional 14 hour flight down to Singapore yeah and essentially Singapore we only have they can only do one show or maybe a handful of shows whereas like if they go to London they can tour the UK in which they can do easily five to six shows in the major cities yeah right yeah
2: and well, I guess the last pro yeah. is that ice cream is really cheap here <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean I, I just I just bought a haggard dust ice cream tub yesterday for three pounds, which doesn't even amount to six Singapore dollars, so yeah, it's <laughs> unbeatable, yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. kettle chips as well, right? and it's just yeah, this, yeah, when it's on discount, you just like yeah soup it off the rack. so uh, Nicholas, how about yourself?
1: Um, so I'm going to be a bit radical and subvert the pros and cons of that. Terence has mentioned. I actually think food, which you did allude to it towards the end, mm-hmm. is actually a bit cheaper here. I think um, that's if you cook on your own. So if ah, you go to the right. if you go to a supermarket and to shop and you cook for yourself, um, I think that's actually cheaper than if you go to do the same thing in Singapore.
2: Yeah, I would um, be inclined to agree with Nicholas. Yeah. I mean when you buy fresh produce it's actually a bit cheaper because while well, the UK produces a lot of their own yeah. in Singapore. I crazy.
1: mean not not just not just like fresh produce, but you know, like you say, ice cream and yeah. biscuits and mm. chips, even the ones yeah. manufactured in the factories, mm. they are also cheaper mm. here, I think. Um, but I do agree that eating out is quite expensive um so so like singapore is sort of like in the middle you know like cooking and eating out um does not differ as much as eating out and cooking here in the uk like you know eating out is cheap here whereas uh, eating out is expensive here whereas cooking is cheap here but then both for singapore is sort of in the middle mm. um yeah and it's probably more expensive to eat out in london as well as compared to other parts of the oh, uk it's very oh, cheap in sure. Manchester, probably cheaper in, yeah. You know, Easy, in, um, even, yeah. yeah absolutely but you get better but you do get better food though I think London you, you, there are more better options mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's I think one of the pros um, because I realised I actually don't spend that much on food as compared to if I were to live in Singapore when I went back to Singapore this time I went to NTSC, I had to shop and I was like it's like so expensive I told my mom, and she was like oh don't bother just like eat at a hawker centre whatsoever it's yeah. so that cheaper I was like that's kind of weird that you know to, to, to not put in the effort but to yeah. get it cheaper mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. but exactly yeah
0: i understand
1: yeah yeah Yeah. so i think food being cheap is one of the pros uh in terms of the cons i don't actually i appreciate the change uh, of seasons but i don't appreciate as much the cold i think if we if it's just cold the entire year i would not like it um Mm. I can only deal with the cold because I know that there will be warm days. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I I don't appreciate the cold as much as Terence does. So that for me would be a con, um, the cold bit, Uh, which is basically now, like going up now. It's like, oh, why do I do this to myself? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but but, yeah, Um, I mean, right. Yeah we're, get, we're, yeah we're all like we're all trapped at home now anyway so mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not too bad yeah. um and uh, but i also agree with the rest of the pros about you know like how we get to um meet people from different places especially in quite international cities like oxford and london um like you get to learn about you know different cultures um you get to learn about how different people think about different things um like i, I go on about how brits think about their politics but then i also have uh, a German housemate and I also have uh, friends from China, America and mm. uh, Netherlands and other places and they do you know uh, contribute to what they think as well and I think this uh, experience to, uh, of, of other cultures is quite um, enriching. Yeah.
0: So now let's go uh, into this new endeavor that both of you embarked on recently which is the, mm-hmm. the creation of your podcast Crafting Musical Lives so yeah Whoever wants to lead this, it's up to either of you. Uh, but how did the idea come about? Um, so we've planned this. i <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> <You laughs> um, surprise. So, you actually did? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, because... Um, so I, I was the one who sort of started it because uh, I've always been quite fascinated with um, biographies and biopics in general. Um, I think it's quite interesting how... The people who produce these things they they most uh more often than not they 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 don't know their subjects personally um so i always i'm always quite curious as to how they're able to produce something that's quite convincing you mm. know like it's almost as if they're they're talking to you about a friend of theirs but this friend died maybe 300 years ago or maybe i don't know yeah a, 50 years ago that kind of thing and they might not have met this person but yet they are able to paint this quite um vivid picture of them Mm. um so yeah i was curious as to how these uh, biographers producers were able to do that um uh, and then i started to read more about the genre of biographies in general um uh, what are the um yeah because i want to find out how they how they do it um and then i realize actually um it's as um as speculative as it is affirmative um there are like it's almost uh, things that they can they can say for sure mm. are also as uh they they are probably also as unsure right uh, if 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 that makes sense like it's it's not um, especially for subjects that are really, really old, um, so you find that so you find that um, with with the different kinds of subjects, uh, they tend to talk about it in a different manner mm. because the way that we think about them, the way we find things out about them, differ. And uh, yeah, you, uh, um, if you listen to. The second and third episode, for example, on Leonard Bernstein and uh, Beethoven, respectively. Uh, I mean, personally, I feel like there's already there's already like a difference between how they spoke about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so basically, I've I've been quite fascinated with this genre of of um, biographies and biopics. I think it's quite um, there's also like an interesting bit as to like you know how these things actually did happen, or at least. Uh, some of these things did happen Mm. um and then i thought about this uh okay so what 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 um to find out more maybe we should actually ask these people themselves um like what what was the process of 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 writing these things or producing these things right um yeah and and you know just hear it from the no i'm not going to use that (laughs) i'm not going to use that um like that Metaphor, because mm-hmm. it's not very nice, right. but um, just hear it from the people who did it themselves, right. um, and then you know to to uh, obviously these i these these things i i don't think should be kept to ourselves. I think that academia in general, or research in general, or 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 such information should be. Um, make available to people, and I think a lot of academics, you know, the 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 work that they do, they don't want to just keep it. At least now, I think they don't want to just keep it in this. Um, the common term is the ivory tower. Mm. Um, they don't want to keep it exclusive to people, and they want to make it more, um, you know, accessible. And I think this is part of a whole like project, to not project, but like this whole desire to um, enlighten society further. Mm. Um, so I decided to. You know, I chose the podcast, the medium of podcasts, because um, we really only need to hear the voices, right? Yeah. Um uh, And then I thought, like, oh, who's who's uh, like because I am sort of an aspiring um, musicologist. I wouldn't call myself a musicologist yet. Right. Um, I thought what, maybe what 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 are some of the other areas of music, like from a, another perspective, mm. that um I can get. Um, and I thought like, okay, maybe composers will have a different idea of 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 how uh like key figures in music live and how it affects music because like composers and musicologists I think approach music differently mm. so I thought of Terence um because we uh, I think we had a bit of conversation like we have been talking sometimes um over the past few years um so I asked him and uh and he was also in the UK obviously and I, I knew that he was also finishing uh his final year of his master's and uh, this would be sort of like a good final year project I mean obviously I don't know what I'll be doing after this yet as of now but um, this would be sort of a good thing to occupy ourselves with um, in what is potentially our final year of education I mean I wouldn't say that very affirmatively for myself but um, at least for now <laughs> um, mm. yeah so so then we, uh, we actually uh, I spoke to him about this uh was it before i think it was like around march actually uh okay before i went back to singapore right and then when i was in singapore for two months between july and september this year we um sort of got everything planned out like who um who we were going to interview and how was this what's the format of this podcast going to be like and where it's going to be um Made available. Um, how are we going to go about writing writing the scripts and whatsoever? Yeah,
2: and how we going to? Met a number of times at North Point City, and I remember how wow Nicholas was at North Point City. He would say he he said to me like, wow, it has everything.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> North Point has everything. I mean, I haven't been there for like three years, and yeah. it's it's changed the past three years. And yeah. yeah, you really you don't have to go very far to
0: get what you need if you live in Yishun now. Um, I but yeah, we met Yishun. I used to go to school in Yichun. Yeah. Uh, it was mm-hmm. not like that before when I was studying there. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but yeah, yeah, for sure, it's changed quite a bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Even when I was in SAF band, we had, I had to go to Yichun very often as well. And um, yeah, it was not it was not like that at all. Mm-hmm. So I was very fascinated. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I, so I asked Terence, and we we planned this throughout July to September, and then we approached our first guest in uh september i think mm. okay. and then uh, e- uh sent out email um did a bit of reading for it and then um, interview them right yeah. so yeah that's how the podcast started
0: mm. w- would you say that w- with regards to this sort of authors of uh, biographies Mm-hmm. That a lot of what they're doing is basically they are connecting certain dots together and then portraying that as a version of what could possibly be the environment and the situation that the given composer is uh, living in at that point of time.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's very much like that. Um, any any piece of historical writing, I think, is is more like um, filling up the gaps, even if they don't fill them up affirmatively. So. So some things they can sort of verify to to a deep uh, stronger extent or deeper extent, um, and then uh, whatever that that are they, the the things that they can't be sure of, they just sort of um, speculate. Mm. But um, I think the better ones, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say better. I don't want to put some value judgment on it. But I think it's nice. It'd be nice if 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 uh the the sort of gaps that they try to fill they offer um they offer alternatives they won't say like you know this is this is what happened this is what happened mm-hmm. um i think it's nice to 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 think of you know this is um if uh this could happen but this could also happen we're not sure i think it's nice i think it's actually good to say for for some of them to say uh, we're not sure because you know um, that was what got me into this in the first place. Like, how are you sure? Mm, and then right. to find out that you're not sure, okay, that's a valid answer. Mm. Um, yeah, so like, you know, for example, the death of Tchaikovsky, um, whether or not it's suicide, whether or not it's cholera. Um, I think I appreciate that there are different, different uh, conclusions to that life narrative rather than, you know, just someone saying that, oh, he definitely died of cholera or he definitely died of... Um, uh, suicide and I think that has an impact definitely on how we approach his music even though you know some people might also say that you shouldn't read the life of the composer in the music but uh, some people do and that um, and which uh, conclusion they choose to follow um, of the life narrative would impact their music making um, and then it, uh, you know in general has uh, um, you know it ex- extends the range of our musical experience. I basically just read to you my essay, sorry. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, fine. Absolutely
3: fine. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah.
0: Um, and I, I just want to to say that this, uh, Nicholas and I were just uh, chatting before we uh, started this recording. Uh, I was listening to this most recent episode of the podcast uh, with Laura Tunbridge. Laura Tunbridge yeah, yeah. Who uh, wrote about uh, Beethoven, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it, in a really kind of refreshing way that, mm-hmm. um, that that is unbiased and objective. And so one particular thing out of the episode that I really um, appreciated was that mm-hmm. th- th- this idea that music is not a language. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you spoke about oh how... Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. You, uh, and I, I thought that that was actually quite a, a refreshing take because, um, yeah, and this sort of... Um, uh, I I think the words that she used were like the, romanticizing this sort of concept, mm. yeah, mm. of that the music is trying to say something, and yeah, that and one of course one of the the famous examples she gave was the example of the the fifth symphony, where it's mm-hmm. the it's fate knocking on the door, right, right at the beginning, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, who is to say whether it is uh, his intentions and what is actually his yeah. intentions, right, and that yeah we are not. Or, or we are not obliged to to feel the same way when we listen to that particular uh, beginning mm. yeah
1: yeah I think I think uh I personally have i cringe every time someone says oh you music is a universal language yeah. um it's not just it's not just it's not a language but I think it's definitely not universal um mm. a lot of people usually say this when you know like say two people, Two different groups of people of different cultures—they yeah. come together and then they somehow connect through music, and then they they just say these things. Oh, music is a universal language; hence, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it bridges the cultural barrier. Yeah. Um, but I think I I don't think it's 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 that easy. Um, it's no. almost like you know, if if someone were to be. Uh, sort of screaming to you in, in, in a language you don't understand, like Farsi or, um, I don't know, Afrikaans, like if they, if, if they were screaming to you in that language, even if you don't understand it, you know, that they are, they might be pissed off or angry. So, right. um, so I think when you, when you say that music in a, is a universal language in that context, you're basically just saying, it's almost like saying that, um, uh, you know, some, uh, someone is shouting at you, um, in another language, you, you, you can you understand that they are angry, but it's not from what they're saying. It's from mm. the tone that they that they that they um using. Yeah. And I think music does have that ability to convey that tone. But in terms of the message, the language that they use, you don't understand in in whatever like Afrikaans or Farsi. Yes. Similar with music, you don't actually understand what they're saying. Mm. But you might understand the tone. But it's not it's not in terms of the language the, the meaning. It's not. What you, it might not be what you think it
0: is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, so please, please stop saying this. <laughs> this is <your> language. <laughs> yeah. I, I think perhaps people mistake it for other people's appreciation of your music or art as mm-hmm. a language. Because obviously, mm-hmm. I think people can feel when you put in some sort of emotional labour into what you're presenting. I think that mm-hmm. can come through. But yeah, I, I think saying that it's a language is uh, yeah I, mm. I agree pushing it a little bit
1: i mean it's it's yeah. worse it's worse if if you're not from the same uh if you you do, if you don't have the same cultural background mm. um if you if someone were to if one of us we we don't we don't delve in um like ethno uh, musicological work we don't delve in uh, the music of um like global music i wouldn't say mm. world music because that's a cheap term right. um but if we, if we were to listen to music of like uh, middle the middle east I, we it would strike us differently from people who were actually constantly exposed to that mm. and so so yeah it, it, we 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 cannot say that we understand it the way they do
2: yeah right. um, for mm. for example from on my side I, mean, I i there was a period of time um where i dabbled a lot in central javanese gamelan and mm. I, I still listen to a lot of it today even today i mean many of its concepts and uh not just the sound, many of its concepts, many of his philosophies have affected the way I write my music, which is, which is another story for another time. But the thing is that um, people do perceive this music very differently from outside the culture. Like mm-hmm. I remember playing this, um, playing some tracks from a wedding ceremony for a friend once and he said, this, this music sounds so mournful, it sounds so sad, it sounds so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, did, did someone yeah. just die or something? And I said, no, that's wedding music. Right,
0: <laughs> right. yeah, kind of bridge exactly. Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a death of something else, like your, <laughs> <laughs> your single life. Ooh, <laughs> Vincent, <laughs> <geez. God>. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, yeah.
1: Great to know that you're an optimist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Hmm. You speak to some really intelligent people right? So mm, the people yes. that interview interview uh, have a, a wealth of knowledge and they're experts in their respective fields. Was it is it easy to talk to them and how is it like uh, interacting with these people?
2: Well, um, granted, we've only spoken to three of them so far, I mean, for the podcast. I'm, I'm sure Nicholas has come across many other academics in his uh, line of um, work, but for, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why I'm talking about this, because the, for the three of them who have spoken to us, they were very earnest and very eager to speak about their work. I mean, one of them, um, Paul Ladd, who spoke to us about Leonard Bernstein, even said, you know, who who doesn't want to speak about their work? I mean, well, I mean, some mm-hmm. people may not, but these people certainly were, they wanted to share with the world, with their discoveries, and not just keep it in a box for themselves or their mm-hmm. inner circle. Yeah. So they were very i would say they were very friendly they were very um uh they were they, they were very willing to engage with yeah. us mm. um even as we are not experts on the subject matter I mean they yeah f- their their willingness was even as we couldn't actually see them because these were podcast recordings and we could only hear their voices yeah it was very mm-hmm. apparent that um how willing they were to share all these information freely Mm.
1: yeah i'm quite i'm quite uh i personally was a a bit surprised that it was quite easy for them to agree to it Mm. um some of them responded really quickly as well um and they were like yeah sure no problem um uh and i think sure they they some of some people obviously have put in a lot of work into their research and they would wanna they would um snap out any opportunity to speak about it as the uh when it comes but i think those people who are perhaps also a bit i mean i'm not saying any of them that wh- whom we've interviewed are but i think in the field also even if you're a bit shy to talk about things that you've done i think you might also recognize that this is not something that you're just doing you know to keep private like mm-hmm. it should be out there yeah um, whether or not it's in the form of a book or in the form of a um, podcast or a video yeah so, podcast so
2: I, that I, I of, agree yeah. that it was well you know in some ways surprisingly easy to talk to them especially since for me I'm not I'm not an academic and yeah it was easy to communicate um,
1: yeah yeah I was yeah I was also going to add that um, uh, because I've obviously spoken to quite a few more academics as in people who do musicology um, so I, I, I sort of have uh uh, more assurance that they would be quite receptive towards our requests. Ah, okay, yeah,
3: right.
2: Yeah, I remember Nicholas and I kind of debating about this when we were discussing about um, starting up this podcast. Because I was, I was actually, I mean, coming from a more uh, practical background, I was of the idea that you know they would want to charge money for these things. And the the thing is that no, none of them have, uh, so far have even asked or mentioned anything about remuneration that all oh, i mean they're, they're willing to offer these this information mm. freely mm.
0: yeah
1: yeah and that, that's I think a great it helps thing that right? they're, 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 yeah it is a great thing it helps that they they have a job and you know that's sort of the main source of income and you know all these like in in some way the podcast is also publicity for their work so obviously they get money from from you know the more books they sell I don't know how much we contribute to that to Mm. the publicity of their work but I think the opportunity is is appealing enough for them to participate in it I mean in terms of like personality wise I think it does help to do a bit of uh, research to you know just go to YouTube and search if they to see if they've done any um, recording in other contexts and to see how to hear how they speak and Mm. and yeah to see whether or not you you can kind of get a gauge whether or not they are um, friendly or or you know whether
0: or not they um, can engage will will engage in such projects. So you mentioned a little bit about research work. How how do you guys devise that? Because I can imagine you have to have read through the entire book yes. in order for you to engage in a conversation with the author. So uh, do both of you do the reading? And then sort of talk to each other about your ideas before coming up with the questions. And yeah, what other things do you do apart from reading what they have published?
1: Um, so we both do the reading for the book, as in, we both read the book. Mm. Um, This was also one of the requirements that um, because we're doing this on a monthly, well, at least for the past three months, we're currently on a hiatus, Mm. but um, we do this on a monthly basis. So one of the requirements of the book and the subsequently the guest is that the book has to be of a certain length. (laughs) Uh, Um, Okay. So so yeah, so it has to be manageable. Um, So we do both read the book. That was the first um, the first thing we do. Mm. Um, Personally, I sometimes go around it as well um, to see if what else maybe this person has written or some of the things that they've referenced in the book to see, to get a, to get a sort of a more, a bigger picture as as compared to what is addressed in the book. Mm. Um, and then we would get together um, perhaps a week or two weeks before actually to Um, formulate some questions actually no we we have this google docs where as we read we would put in our own questions right Um, uh, yeah and um, and then we would have a meeting before sending the questions off um, to evaluate the questions that we have come up to see whether or not they're worth asking and uh, I mean you also have to gauge what sort of answers they would give and and what kind of like what's the scope of their research, whether or not they can answer some of these questions. So, yeah, so we would have a meeting to evaluate the questions first before sending it to them. Mm. Um, yeah, so very much like uh, what you do, we, we do uh, prepare the questions beforehand. Right. But similarly, we also have organic questions that, you know, and a lot of times they do, uh, answer questions in advance as in like they they would talk about something and then they will ask they will answer our next question so uh,
0: um, so yeah. it flows so, into the next question right yeah, so, yeah yeah pretty much yeah
1: so so when we evaluate the questions we also like sort of uh, order them like it always starts with um it always starts with because this i think this project as much as it is about the subject it's also a lot about the biographer mm um yeah it's um, as, um, as much about the biographer as it is about the biography yeah. um so we tend to dedicate at least half of the podcast to the biographer um you know asking them questions like how did the opportunity come about mm. um what were some of the issues that they um like they had in particular when uh writing about this subject um uh yeah, with with uh with Paul, for example, we spoke to him about his experience with Bernstein because he has personally met Bernstein. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, like we do order the questions. Like first, the first at least half of it would be um about the biographer, and then you know the bit that perhaps more people are interested. In. I mean, that sounds horrible, yeah, I mean, but <laughs> um <laughs> about it's about the subject. Yeah,
2: I mean, mm. Nicholas and I do also. Uh, in, in our discussion, like one or two weeks before we actually in, uh, have the interviewed the biographer, we do discuss quite fervently about the order of the questions, whether this mm. question is relevant, whether this question can be made clearer, whether we should split it into two, etc. And, uh, of course, who should ask which question. But usually this um, is uh, on the day itself, day of the interview itself, is subject to... Um, Spontaneity, some spontaneity. Mm-hmm. So well, we use this platform, Zencast. So yeah. We we actually make use of this hand-raising thing that oh, it offers. I mean, I, I know some other platforms offer it as well. So it's it's quite yeah. useful so that we can see who would want to ask the next question so that we wouldn't like, bungle it up and then both of us try to ask it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Especially yeah. Mm-hmm. I know
2: that for, for these academics, we, they, are, they are really spending... Their very precious time with us for no at no cost, so we will want to maximize the use of maximize the use of time that we have with them.
0: Mm, yeah. Definitely. I think that th- that's the the least we can do as a uh, uh, podcast host to treat our guests mm. with uh, a certain amount of respect, isn't it? Uh, that they yeah. are we appreciate yeah. them taking their time out to to do this uh, for this thing that we are creating. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, do you guys foresee that in the future, I, I guess, you know, in terms of uh, for Nicholas, even, or even for uh, Terence as well, when you're doing your academic assignments nowadays, maybe there are ways for us to cite, say, like uh, a speech or a video from YouTube or podcast nowadays. Do you foresee that this could potentially be materials that could be used for academic purposes as well
1: um i've personally thought about it for my own <laughs> assignment but <laughs> um i i think that's a bit too like narcissistic to do you know to cite your own work at least where where i'm at, at my in my academic career i think i shouldn't be really citing my own work for now i mean it's not even my own work it's you know work yeah for but, the people. yeah, but yeah you know myself. it's
0: a conversation isn't it it's not exactly
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean i guess uh I, I think it depends um if if you uh it depends on what uh like what's the what's what's expected of your piece of writing you know if if uh, some people have really strict requirements about using online materials um so uh then you know this might not be uh appropriate but um considering that we are hearing from experts. We are hearing from the people who are writing the books that you perhaps should be citing from. I think it's valid enough, um, to be a resource for, um, people to, um, use for their academic assignments. Um, but you know, right now it's still quite a humble project. So, (laughs) um, but I think in the future, perhaps these things, um, if it's, if it's sort of verified in a way, then, uh, then i think it can be i mean there are online resources like um like uh, the the grove online uh dictionary for Mus- uh, musicians and music um that, that's an online resource and for tchaikovsky there's a tchaikovsky network research network website so uh, online resources are becoming more and more sort of acceptable i guess in in academic writing mm. and i think podcasts um especially one that's quite clearly um uh, academic, um, or at least with academic with questions that might relate to academia in general, I think these can be as well um, useful resources.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Be- Because for me, I, I see this as potentially something that could be very interesting that offers either a, a supplementary sort of source to mm-hmm. a reading that you've done, or an, al- mm-hmm. an alternative viewpoint from a particular uh subject matter. Yeah. So yeah. I, I find that this is uh this is really, really cool. And
1: yeah, um yeah. I mean I, I, I personally think of this podcast as sort of like a behind the scenes as well um of, of the book. Um you know how you see like films or whatsoever uh, that are produced and then you go to YouTube and see how it's actually made, that sort of thing. Um and, and those can be uh as informative uh the behind the scenes can be as informative as the thing itself. Mm. Um so for someone perhaps writing about uh, uh, um, writing about something that has to do with the biography that they're citing, um, there are certain things that the biographers don't share. And if they do share it in the podcast, then, you know, it's sort of like a supplement. And yeah, they I, mm. because it's coming from the same person, yeah. I guess it's valid
0: enough. Yeah, to, like a tidbit sort so of it, thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah for sure. So uh, at the end of it, I think, Really fantastic, uh, and thank you for the work that you do. I think it's great. Uh, it's not easy to uh, show up and, and talk, and yeah, do do this work and put in hours of research uh, to interview your guests. So uh, congratulations on launching the podcast, and yeah, I I look forward to more uh, episodes for uh, in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you for your podcast as well. It's very interesting to listen to all the different lives of uh, being uh, of of musicians yeah. in Singapore. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite, uh, I was, I'm quite like surprised by how many different paths um, people in Singapore have taken. Even mm. though it's such a small country, you you tend to think that there's only one uh, way to go. But you know, yes. yeah, I mean, your, your podcast has proven that wrong. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we, we look forward to having a, a musicologist amongst us, Nicholas. Just uh, I mean, there are, well, <laughs> there are musicologists, but, <laughs> <Right. you know. laughs> uh, but perhaps a little bit closer to our generation. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, uh, well, one final question uh, for the both of you. Uh, and this is uh, maybe a little bit uh, philosophical um, and feel free to answer it anywhere you want. Uh, what are the positive changes you hope to create with your art?
2: Well, I, I don't know if I can be so ambitious as to say uh, that my work would change the world or the people around me anyway, but I do hope that um, it, 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 it will do so in two ways. Um, one is through, directly through my composition. So um, perhaps as expressing myself to my unique musical language because everyone has their own unique musical language that is um, based on their life experiences, their beliefs, their etc. Et so uh, perhaps um, when people listen or experience these works, they, they come away having a better idea of what someone else's music, what someone else's life experience is like. I mean, and in a way, that's just uh, the tip of the iceberg of a cultural exchange. I mean, even like, like Nicholas said, you know, where um, even within Singapore, there's so many different paths that one can take within such a small country with limited resources or that kind of thing, you know. But yeah, we all have different life stories and I hope my my music would be able to share that with others in a way that my words can't mm.
3: um,
2: and the other way is that I, I, ho- I do hope to give back to society I mean I, I think I I have already done so in some ways like with the young composers challenge thingy that I spoke about earlier
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: but yeah I, I hope to continue doing that because I don't believe that knowledge uh, is something to just be kept to myself or kept in a box and just as how those academics have um, freely shared their knowledge with us. Uh, I also hope to do so with um, others and hope to nurture well the next generation of composers and beyond. Sharing of ideas, um, I hope that it would help at least maybe a future generation. Although I can't say whether it's a positive or negative change for the future, because that I like, I guess no one can really tell with regards. Mm-hmm. To-
0: yeah, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, it's it's great, you know. Uh, what better way to share what you already have uh, with as many people as possible for people who are, who wants to learn, for, you know, and to just contribute whatever you can. I think that's fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Nicholas, how about yourself?
1: Uh, um, okay, so this is quite a triggering question for musicologists. Right. <laughs> um, uh so I I yeah, I once attended a conference and one of the keynote speakers actually uh did hits said something that I feel like a lot of musicologists do, and personally myself I do experience this as well. Like sometimes when we start writing something, we always think like, Why does this matter? Like who cares? You know, like who cares about what you're gonna say? Um, it's not going to feed the poor, it's not going to, you know, bring about world peace. Mm. Um so yeah, it's it's quite a difficult question for 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 what I do. Um, so in so, because I don't want to come up with a question that's so much of a platitude, I'm just gonna say, I don't know. Right. right. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what what sort of positive change. Obviously, I do hope that there would be. Um, and if I do realize that, then I will obviously tr- um, follow that path. Um. Uh, but in general, perhaps just to keep people interested in music, I'm pretty sure music's like place in the world is very much solidified. Like, we're not going to lose music, uh, for a long, 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 long time. Um, but yeah, I guess to put it very fundamentally, the work of musicologists is just to keep also people interested in music. Mm. Yeah, sorry, that's a, such a disappointing. No, answer, no, absolutely but, fine. Um, but yeah, it, it it's quite a. It's quite it's one of those questions that um like funding bodies like to ask when, when you apply for scholarships as well. And <laughs> yeah, I always find that very, very annoying and difficult. Right. Um, and I still don't have the answer. Even though obviously when I apply for scholarship I just, you know, come up with something. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that I think you deserve the truth. So I would say, I
0: don't You know, I think this complex uh, that that you've mentioned uh, lives within all of us as artists. You know, I mean, I regard Mm -hmm. you as uh, uh, creating something as well, writing something, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, an author is also in a way an artist. That uh, at the end of the day, we always ask ourselves this question because in a way, our art will never be good enough for us, isn't it? So Hmm. yeah, it's a constant journey of like leveling up, getting better at what we do. And we always ask ourselves like, you know, yeah. You know, who cares about what we do? Right. And I agree with you, you know, at the end of the day, not just with, uh, writing, but with a music, with music performances as well. It's, uh, we can say the same thing. Uh, it's not going to change the world in a very drastic way, you know, but we hope that in a way, uh, Whatever we create can connect with uh, who we seek to serve, you know. And if you chose to engage with the the work that we do, and uh, we hope that then you find some sort of um, new information, knowledge, or, or connection with whatever we put up. I think that's the
1: yeah yeah that yeah. It's just all part of life. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's more philosophy. But yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me. It's time for us to wrap this conversation up. Uh, uh, it was great to speak to both of you today and I hope you uh, had a good time uh, speaking to me on this podcast as well. Thank you. It was very it was
2: very fun. I really enjoy it, enjoyed, <laughs> right. especially since, you know, we're both of us are in lockdown and, you know, you don't really get to speak to people much. Yeah. I guess Nicholas still has his housemates, but I live... Alone in my room. So yeah, this is yeah.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Right, right. right. So uh, I wish uh, both of you the very, very best for the rest of the year. Please take care of yourself and stay safe. For all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode, and most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very, very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play or What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play A What. Until next time.